Pastor Andy Elms has always been a great blessing to us. Last time he was here was during the tent meetings we had out behind the pond up on the hill. If you were there for those, what a great time we had. Got to meet some of his family. Um, but I won't take too much time. It's, it's on in time. But the beautiful atmosphere and worship and praise, I'm glad you were here for that. I hope God's already prepared your heart to receive uh, the word that will come tonight. Pastor Andy is a man of the word. He's got plenty of books back there. If you've never read a book by Pastor Andy Elms, I'd encourage you to pick one up tonight on your way out. Um, it's a blessing. It's, it's always wonderful to have a, a rooting and a grounding system that goes beneath just the, super, the superficial stuff that this world thinks is important. Because when the wind blows, you find out if the tree's got deep roots or not. And, uh, and we, how much we need each other's support in, in, the, in the wind that's blowing. The winds of change are strong. And um, we're just glad to have a rooting and a grounding in the word. And we so appreciate Pastor Andy coming here and being with us on a Saturday night. Let's welcome him as he comes now. Hey, praise God. It's good to be with you on this Saturday night. And uh, boy, time flies so quickly. Hey, It doesn't seem long ago that we were in the tent um, and enjoying what God was doing there. And um, it's so true what Pastor Josh is saying. You know, you look at what's going on in Israel and uh, we were chatting earlier. It's all about a promise. It's all about a promise made to a man called Abraham. And that promise remains true. That promise remains true because for God to break one promise would make every other promise have a question mark. And my God won't break one promise. What he promises, he does. Amen. But when you look around at the world today, you know, it's, it's a time that should really sober our hearts in our walk with God. But this isn't the 70s. This isn't the 80s. This isn't the 90s. This is a moment in God's kairos that he always had planned, but we're realizing now that we're in. But it's just a joy to be with you tonight, and always good to hang out with our friends Josh and Elaine and the family, and uh, to catch up and uh, hear what's going on. And um, we love you guys, we really do. I was just over in Zambia, and I followed in the footsteps of Brother David there. He just left, and we just arrived, and uh, it was brilliant to, uh, to see what God's doing in the world. But we need to be focused on what God is doing in our world. We need to be focused on the world that God's put us in, not the one we want to be in, the one that God has put us in. Because God don't make mistakes. God don't make mistakes. I'm going to kick this over. I know it. So let's just move it over there now to save the pain. Um, God don't make no mistakes. And where you are is because God wanted you here. What we've got to look at is the simple question, are we going to rise to the challenge in our generation and be the people that God's called us to be? I'm kind of scared about tonight because when God don't give me a word, I'm like, you got a word. And uh, I didn't have a word, but now i got a word. And I know that God wants to touch some lives tonight and he wants to light fresh fire in your heart. He wants to get the river of God flowing again. Some of you allowed some boulders in. We're going to get the boulders out tonight. But we're going to rise to the challenge of our generation. I don't have a responsibility for the generation gone, but I do have one for the one that I'm in. And I need to tee up if Jesus tarries for the one that follows, amen. But something inside of me says, I don't know if we will get that far. You know, I've preached for many years, as you, things like the rapture of the church, but all of a sudden, I'm looking at that, not with a knowing in my head, but a knowing in my heart. 
Now, if we believe, which I do in the rapture of the church, that's my eschatology. I really believe that there's a rapture, there's a seven years of wedding feast, there's a seven years of tribulation on the earth. Again, if you don't believe in that, we're looking for someone to look after our dogs when we're gone for seven years. So just come and talk to me. That would really help my wife to be happy with what's going on here. But when we understand whatever we try to interpret the end, we know that Jesus Christ is coming again. But when I read about things like the rapture, I used to read those things and they used to be a little bit fairy tale. But all of a sudden they seem more real. Now, if we believe that, then we have to believe that right now we are standing in the closing moments of what's been called the church age. Now, what follows the church age, according to my eschatology and how I read the Bible, is the rapture of the church, which means we need to understand that this isn't our moment to play church. This isn't our moment to go through the motions. This isn't a moment to include God in our Sundays. But this is a moment to be sold out, on fire for God, no rubbish in our lives, no compromise in our hearts, no passivity in our plans, no apathy that's holding us back from living the life. Come on, I'm going to stir you tonight because I want to stir myself. Because I look around, how can you look at what's happening in Israel? That's not just another war. (laughs) That's not just another war. That's a moment that tells us we need to be ready for Jesus Christ to do what he promised he would. And that's to return. But I believe in the rapture of the church, that he's coming back for a beautiful, glorious bride. Now, if I mean that, if I honestly mean that in my heart, I have a responsibility to my generation. If I honestly believe that, if if rapture, second coming, it's just something I heard, it was a good story, I agreed with it, I'm not going to respond. But if in my heart I believe Jesus Christ is coming soon, that I believe he's going to call his church up in the sky, this is a time when we need to have an eye on the sky and a hand on the plough. Come on, let me say that again. This is a time for us to have our eye on the sky and our hand on the plough. Because it says, as he went, so he will return. There is a day when Jesus Christ will return, I believe, to collect his church. And that will trigger a series of events called the millennium reign, the, 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 the eternal kingdom, and all that good stuff that we read about in the book of Revelations. I saw something funny on Facebook, and I thought it was kind of real. And it was this lady looking out of her front door, and underneath it said, what chapter of Revelations are we in today? You know, it's, it feels like that when you you're looking around because this isn't just another war. This isn't just another moment in Israel. This isn't just a moment in our society. We need to be realizing that I believe that Jesus could well be moving on his throne waiting for the word of a father to come and do what he promised he would. We shouldn't be surprised because he's a God of promise and whenever he promises he does what he says he will do. Amen. Now, that shouldn't make us feel guilty, but it should motivate us to say, I am playing no games. There's a job to do. Because if I believe we're standing in the last chapters of the church age, the age of grace, and the next thing in my calendar is the return of Jesus Christ for his church, I've got two big responsibilities on me. Number one, get as many people in the boat as I can. Get over my fears. Get over my excuses. Get over why I won't tell my friends and family about Jesus. And realize, listen, when he comes back, there ain't no refunds. When he appears in the sky, what's settled is settled. And a series of events starts that no one can stop. We need to understand that this is not fantasy. It's real. 
we're living in a moment that's real. We can't ignore it. We can't pretend it's not happening. We need to respond. How do we respond? We've got to get all our family, our friends, everyone we know, people we don't know, into the boat. Into the boat. But also we need to get the church ready for collection. We need to get the people who are in the boat ready for collection. Now, you know, I've been walking around a few places recently doing that. And people say, what are you doing? I said, rapture practice. <laughs> I'm going to be, I've got one shot, well, I've got one shot of riding that flume the best I can. And, and when that moment, I'll be gone. Come on, we've got to be teaching the church rapture practice. Get ready, get ready. It's going to happen. It's not a rumor. It's not a fairy tale. It's real. Let's make sure our lives are ready to be collected. Ain't no time to carry junk. Ain't no time to carry compromise. It's time to get out of us anything that we don't want to be seen with us when he comes. That's our decision. To say, God, I want to be ready for your collection. So the question is, I think, are we going to be trailblazers or are we going to be hellraisers? Which one are you going to choose? I want to be a trailblazer in my generation. Because I've realized in my heart, with greater soberness than ever before, this is real. He is coming back for his bride. He is coming back for his church. There is a moment where decisions can't be reversed. I want to make sure I'm ready for collection. Anyone else? Then I'm going to let the fire of God burn away anything that shouldn't be. I'm not talking about demon possession. I'm talking about junk. If there's any, in, anything in us that shouldn't be, come on, fire of God, burn it away. Burn it away. Burn it away. Burn it away. I want the river of God flowing in my life. I don't want to refer to a moment 30 years ago. I want to say now. Now. I want to be a trailblazer. We've read the books of people who were trailblazers before, and they motivate us. You know, even when we read stories of Luther, how he suddenly said, no, it isn't faith and, it's faith alone. He was a trailblazer that suddenly brought a Protestant church out of a church that had been lied to. Then you've got people like Oliver Cromwell that suddenly said, I'm a Puritan and a Puritan I will be. And he marched through England, pulling down every statue, saying the Bible said, don't worship statues. We're in a moment where we understand that God has always had trailblazers. Come on, Gideon was a trailblazer after God convinced him he wasn't a coward. He was a trailblazer. Come on, other people like King David, trailblazer. Come on, these guys are awesome. Apostle Paul, trailblazer. I'm going to preach the new creation and upset everything and burn a new trail. Trailblazers set a trail in wild country where others haven't. That's our calling. And yet we've got people that say they can't go to church because they're bored. Yeah. It's not the church's problem, it's yours. You're boring. If you're bored with Jesus and Christianity, the issue isn't him. It's you. Come on, wife. Look at your husband. Don't be scared to. If you need to do that, look back. Come on. There's no place for being bored. Do you think the Apostle Paul was bored? Nah, terrified, scared, afraid at moments, not knowing what to do, but never bored. The last 30 years of my life, never bored. Wondering how it was going to turn out, if we would survive, if I would be coming back, if we'd make it, but never bored. Why? Because I'm not a hellraiser. I'm a trailblazer. 
I'm not trying to live things that aren't God. That's a hellraiser. I want to be a trailblazer in my generation because God always had trailblazers. Old Testament trailblazers. New Testament trailblazers. Through the history of the church, trailblazers. What about today? This is the day for us to say, I'm not going to sit and watch in my own life. I'm not going to go and sit and become an expert making judgments on church and news. I'm going to get up and say, God, if this is the moment before your return, this is time for me to be activated. I can't be a dormant, unacted, uh, an a- unactivated credit card in a top drawer. God, I'm making a phone call today. Activate this card for your purposes. Come on, I want to stay tonight. I don't care if I upset you. I don't care if I irritate you. As long as something happens. As long as something happens. Come on, church as it is normal, it's not going to change the world, yet the world needs to be changed. You know, when I think of trailblazers, one of my favorite recently has been a king among 42 kings, but he was a different king. His name was Josiah. Josiah's really begun to, ah, I'm like, Josiah, you're getting to me. You're getting to me. You begin to read about Josiah in 2 Kings 22. And you read about a young man who stepped forward and said, I will not be obliged to the compromise of my fathers. Even though his granddaddy was Hezekiah and he was a pretty good guy. He carried the DNA of his grandfather, not his father, Manasseh. Thank goodness. But you read about Hezekiah and you're like, you were a guy that wouldn't sit down. And then you go through that normal route of kings. But a dumb king gets raised up. The next son doesn't follow God. But then you turn in chapter 22 to this young guy called Josiah. And when you read about Josiah, he motivates me. And he makes me think, in my generation, I need to be a Josiah generation. Often, we've heard it preached in all the big conferences. It's time for a Josiah or or a Joshua generation. I don't know. Joshua was brilliant at bringing people into the rest that was promised to them. I don't know if we need a Joshua generation right now. I think what the world needs is a Josiah generation. A generation that says, the word of God has come into my life and now I'm going to turn the world upside down. Come on, that's the characteristics of King Josiah. I didn't know much about him, but recently I've been reading, reading, reading. He's in 2 Kings. He's in Chronicles. We know that he was the 16th king. There had been 42 kings in the land. He was the 16th. And he was different like his granddad, Hezekiah. And when you read about Josiah, we could spend hours reading it. I won't lie to you. If you don't believe me, read it when you get home. But I want to get somewhere tonight and I want to get there quickly. When you read in 2 Kings 22, it says that he was eight years old when he became king. Eight years old. Eight years old when he became king, the 16th king. Eight years old. And it says when you read through that he always had a love for God like his granddad Hezekiah. He wasn't like his dad Manasseh. He carried the DNA of Hezekiah. And I love it that he, we're introduced to him in the opening chapter that he's taking care of God's house. He had a respect for the temple. And that was different to the other kings 
they were just strange. I don't know about you, it's like deja vu when you read through Second Kings and the books of Kings. It says, and then there was this king, and he kind of liked God, but he liked other gods as well. Then there was this king, and this king didn't walk in the ways of the father David. Then there was this king. He was a little bit better, but not sold out. But then there was another king, and he didn't want God at all. You're reading through, you're like, what is going on here? Then you get to Hezekiah, then you get to Josiah. But it says of Josiah... I love this story. It's really beginning to aggravate me in a good way. It's calling out the Josiah in me. Amen? Because he had someone in his bloodline that was pretty important too, right? Now, Josiah, it says that he took care of the house. Now, that's good. We should all take care of the house. But when you read through the storyline, it says he sends his steward or one of his right-hand men to the house to make sure that the repairs were taking place. People were being paid. It was practical. He was saying, make sure the work of the temple's going on. And so the servant goes to the house and begins to look around, tidy things up. But then it says this. This is the bit that's really begun to struck my heart. He says... And while the steward was tidy in the house, he came across a book. And, and when he was tidying and taking care of the house, he came across a book. Some call it the book of commands. Others call it the book of law. Most theologians believe it was the book of Deuteronomy or a section of Deuteronomy. And it says he brings it back to Josiah. And he said, we found this book. And it says Josiah opens the pages And in that moment, the words of God came in to his life. He was already a person that loved the church. But all of a sudden, the words of this book that had been found hidden in the temple, everyone had ignored, came into his life. And he said, we've got to do something about this. And then you read on through the chapter. He goes to see a prophet and she tells him that... This is true, and because of his response to the book, it won't happen in his generation, etc., etc. But it's what happens next I want you to think about. Josiah reads this book, and suddenly he begins to speak this way. I'm sorry, God. I will love you with all my heart. All my... Where did you read that? In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. He was letting the word of God come into his life. The word of God that had been hidden in the church was now coming into his life. And all of a sudden, he's saying, I must love the Lord my God with all, 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 all. Not some, 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 all, all, all. And I love this about King Josiah. It says, and he stands because it would have been easy for him as the king of the land to begin to judge everybody else. You, why are you not giving God all? You, why are you not giving God all? But it says the first thing that Josiah does, and you read through chapter 22, it says he stands before the people, the people he had responsibility for, and he said, I make a covenant with God today. Me, this is me. I make my covenant with God today. Your word is no longer hidden. It's come into my life. And from this moment, all, all, all. He looked around at a society that was bent and warped, a bit like ours today. The next thing he does, he goes to the church, and in the church there was male prostitution, there was false idols, there was a whole bunch of junk going on in the temple. 
The next thing Josiah does is he walks in the church and says, we don't do this anymore. Get everything that's not God out. Get everything that's worshipping any other thing than God, even people or personalities. Get it out of God's house. And then he turns to the nation and says, we're going to have a revival. And he sends his men throughout the nation to go and bring order where there was false worship. Now, you read about this statement. It says, and he pulled down the high places. Now, that's important because when he pulled down the high places, he was making a difference in the land because high places represent a number of things. One of the things they represent was places of worship. And when you read about the other 41 kings, apart from Hezekiah, it says of those kings that they set up worship to other gods on the high places. But you read through what the other kings did, and some of them were bad, some of them were really bad, but they were all in the category of bad apart from Hezekiah. Josiah carried the DNA of his granddad, but with greater intensity. You see, what God did in the past isn't going to want to do what he does now. It's going to be bigger, it's going to be better, it's going to be more potent than the days of Josiah. But we need to pick our team. Are we going to be on the all, all, all team or the all, some, all? Or the all, some, some? Or the some, some, or none, none team? That's our choice. That's our choice. Josiah said, before I hold the church to account, before I hold the nation to account, I hold me to account. God, your word has come into my life. Other people told me that I could blend you with other gods. But your word, Deuteronomy, has come into my life and said that you deserve all, all, all. And he said, no more compromise, no more apathy, no more passivity. Not just for your house, but for you, God. You don't have to share me like you shared other kings. I won't make you share me, God. I'm all yours. That's the heart of a trailblazer. That's somebody who will change the world. And I believe that this is our hour to step forward as an all, all, all people. But when you read about Josiah, he goes on this rampage. I think that's where Oliver Cromwell got his inspiration. He goes on a rampage and he begins to go to every high place. Now bear in mind, a lot of those high places had been built by his family, his predecessors, his father, his great-great-granddad, but not Hezekiah, those high, high places had been built by people that went before him. But he says, no, 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 there's no place for high places in this land. The worship belongs to God. The worship belongs to God. God will not have to share me or the generation I lead. As if God could share or had to share anyone, but he did in previous generations. Because you had some of the kings that would give him Sunday, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they just worshipped other things. The God of the sun, the God of the bum, the God of the belly button, the God of every other thing on high places that weren't real gods, but they worshipped these things on high mountains. What I love about the rampage of Josiah, after he took himself to account and he cleansed the church, he said, let's turn this nation upside down. And I just see him galloping to every high place. You know, I could build a pile of chairs and violently throw it down, but you get the point. 
He pulled down every high place. He said, God will no longer share us. We belong to him. We need to have that cry in our hearts. Because we're conscious of the moment that we're in. Amen. Why should God have to share us? He paid a more than fair price, not for some of us, but for all of us. Why do people get so hung up with their past because they don't realize it's not theirs anymore? Jesus bought it from you. Your past isn't yours. You were bought with a price. So that you could walk in freedom to be totally his. God liberated you from your past so that you could be free to be his. You know, sometimes we can look at the high places that Josiah pulled down. But what about us? Have we got any high places in our life? What's a high place? A place where we worship someone the same as or more than him. What's a high place? The same as what it was in the day of King Josiah. Any place in our life where we give something or someone the same worship we give him. Or more. I tell you, we've got to go up to some high places, guys, if we mean business. And if we find a high place where we're loving or worshipping anything more than God, we need to get that thing and pull it down. Even tonight, we need to pull it down. We need to pull it down. We need to say, there isn't going to be any sharing of me. There has been in the past, but your word has come into my life now. See, he suddenly changed when the word came into his life. That's why the church is always saying, read your Bible, get in the word, get in the word. Because when the word comes into your life, everything changes. It's no mistake that he's using this terminology. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart. He read that in the book. He read that in Deuteronomy and said, I didn't realize how I was meant to live. Now I do. Everything changes. I won't judge you for your yesterday. I won't judge myself because Jesus Christ wants you to know his forgiveness and move on into what he's got for you. But it's amazing some of the high places we can have. How do we identify high places? Do you give to anything or anyone more than you give to him? It's really simple, right? It's really simple. All right, God's relational, right? If you didn't know that, it means he's religious to you. But he ain't religious, he's relational. The way that we understand God is through the lens of relationship, not religion or procedure. Now, if we're to know God through the lens of relationship and original design, because we were made in his image, God's got a heart. Why? Because we were made in his image. We've got a heart. He's got a heart. The original design of who we are reveals not just us, but him. Now, if we've got the ability to feel like we've been left behind, rejected, made second place, well, the Bible clearly says that God's a jealous God. Not with negative jealousy, but with jealousy that says, you're mine. I made you. I saved you. I gave my only beloved son to have you in relationship with me. That's powerful. So, okay, I've been married 30 years. August, we we celebrated 30 years. Now, if I did what I'm going to say to you now, You would not want to be in a room with me, I don't think. I don't know. This is fiction. It didn't happen. 
But imagine if I went to my wife of 30 years and I said, come on, honey, let me hold you. And I started to sing some love songs, you know, some of those old classics, you know, a bit of Lionel, you know. <laughs> my love, there's only you in my life. The only, and she gets in and she, my first love. And we're dancing in the kitchen and just loving on. And then all of a sudden I said, I'll be back a little bit later today, honey. Then I walked down the road to a nasty lady called Esther who's a filthy lady, non-moral. And I'll begin to kiss her. I'll begin to hug her. I'll begin to hold her. I'll begin to love on her. Yeah, some of you are not looking at me like you like me anymore. No, no, but it's all right. Because then I went back to my wife and began to sing my love songs again. Only you, hello, is it me? You're, I love you. But, oh, wait a minute. This time it wasn't Esther, it was Dirty Betty. Dirty Betty. Me and Dirty Betty. In the corner, Dirty Betty and me. Oh, but it's okay, because I'm coming back to Gina, the wife of my covenant. Love you, Gina. You're looking at me, some of you, with total disgust. I didn't do it. It's an analogy. I, I, I pre-said that. Some of you want to stone me. Why? It's not right. It's not right. Well, if we wouldn't do that to a wife of covenant, why would we do that to a God of covenant? We'll do it when we don't know any different, but we, when, no, we, when we know different, it's time to stop, not legalistically, but relationally. I don't not commit adultery because I have a document called a marriage certificate issued in Wyndham, actually. I don't because I love her, and I want to be all of hers as she's all of mine. We get that. What about God? What about God? God isn't expecting anything more than that. Because he gave all of him for all of us. And again, we all have times of ignorance. Josiah was in a time of ignorance and then the word came into his life. I love that. The power of a word coming into his life. And suddenly he went from a nice church attender. He took care of the temple to a revolutionary trailblazer where he's pulling down. Are you worshipping this instead of God? I'm pulling it down. You worshipping this instead of Yahweh? I'm pulling this down. But before he went and pulled down the false high places in the nation, he pulled down his own first. Maybe tonight there's a high place you need to pull down. Maybe tonight a pop star, a soccer star, or even a photo of yourself is getting more worship than what you're giving to God. It's time to get things right and pull down every high tower. It's time for you to ascend the mountain of your own heart, your own affections, and say, am I loving anything or anyone more than the one who deserves the greatest of my love? No? Then I'm pulling it down. I'm pulling it down. I'm pulling it down. I'm pulling it down. I'm not going to go and judge the church until I've judged myself. I'm not going to judge the sinful until I've judged myself. It's okay for me to preach to others, but if I'm not preaching to me, I'm nothing more than a stinking hypocrite. Are there things in my life that I've overloved in comparison to God? Then tonight your word has come into my heart and I say things can't be that way. Tonight I'm pulling it down. Man, I reckon God gets busy with that kind of stuff. You see, 
We often say send the fire, but we don't give him anything to burn. <laughs> We're really good at singing songs and shouting in moments of passion. Send the fire, Lord. So I think if we could hear heaven, sometimes God would say, not a problem, just give me something to burn. <laughs> give me something to burn. Pop something on the altar for me. Pop something on the altar for me to burn. You want fire, you'll see fire. But at the moment, you're asking me to call fire down on an empty stone. You want fire, I'll send fire. Now, when I look at Josiah, I love it. But something that scares me is he hasn't got what I've got. <laughs> he hasn't got what you've got. Because that's the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit was outside of him. I'm in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is not just outside, but he's inside. If a man not filled with the Holy Spirit can cause a revival in the land, what can a man or a woman filled with the Holy Ghost, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, do in a nation or a generation if he decides he's not going to run from his assignment? but he's going to stay and be that bright shining light for God. Sometimes we're a bright shining light in places we don't want to be. But if God hadn't told us to leave, we've got to stay where we are until he does because there's an assignment. There's something that needs to happen. I believe we're living in a society in the Western Church of England and America, Australia, where it's time to pull down some high places Bring our lives back to devotion, simple devotion to God, where we're not kissing Esther in the corner. Esther's gone. Betty's over. It's God. It's him. It's him. But also we're saying, well, wait a moment. Josiah didn't have Holy Ghost in him. Andy's got Holy Ghost in him. What if Andy actually believed he had the Holy Ghost in him? What if Andy actually believed the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead? What, what if you actually believed, not a little bit in your head, but wholly in your heart, that the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you? What, what if it's true that you're a temple and you're a branch, that God now lives in you? Don't you know, Paul said to the Corinthian church, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. Jesus said the same. And when he comes, he will be with you. He will be in you. Don't tell me that we're going to be trailblazers like Josiah because Josiah did everything in his own strength. What could we do? Oh, it looks like the boat's sinking. Yeah, but what could we do if we understand the moment, our devotion, and the indwelling of the Spirit of the living God in our lives? I think Josiah would talk about you in heaven. <laughs> Josiah would go, I've got, to tell, I've got to tell you about Pastor Jerome. I've got to tell you about Jared. I've got to tell you about the Kingston crew. Greater is he that's in us. Go on, you hear some Christians talking and you're like, when did God leave the throne? Could you tell me exactly it was when, because you're talking to me like he's not in charge anymore. And he's not going to do everything he said he's going to do. I want to tell you, I just feel the Lord moving on the throne. I, I, I do, I do, I do. Now, I always used to preach, you know, the rapture one day. Some of me didn't believe it. All of a sudden, something in me really does believe it. To the degree that I'm making sure there's no other high place in my life. I don't even want to nearly love anything else like I love him. Because when he comes, he's coming for a bride that's spotless. Without really, he, he, he's taking us to a feast. I, I want to be ready for the feast. I don't want to be on the earth, that's for sure. I want to be with him. Amen. Yeah, in that glorified body, you know. Come on. 
I'm not even going to go there because I've dig myself in a hole. So I'm going. I've, I've learned. Uh, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to talk about my glorified body. No, I'm not, don't make me do that. Don't make me do that. No, don't make. No, 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 no. But don't make me do it. It's going to be awesome because the display of a resurrected body of Jesus is the image of what you can expect. He didn't go sideways. He also went upwards. He was perfected and glorified in the body that he knew. Don't try and hang on to the old one. Get hungry for the new. No, I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to stop it because I want to tell you, people are good at kind of adding bits and taking bits away, but rapture, everything goes back to normal setting. There's going to be bits flying everywhere. There's going to be lips flying everywhere and other bits flying all over the place. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting picture. But everyone goes back to original setting. Yeah. No, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. No, no, no. no. I, can, I can feel humor beckoning me. No, no, no. Let's stay on track. Let's stay on track. Come on. It's, it, it, it's time to pull down our high places. It's time to say, God, your word has come into my life. Don't you love it for the presence of the word of God? But it was the word of God. Like you said, Andy's a man of a word. It was the word that changed my life, not feelings, because feelings don't change anything long term. The word of God is what came. The book of Deuteronomy was hidden under the dusty seats of a temple. Suddenly it was discovered it came into the heart of a king who already loved God. And when the word came in, everything began to change. Again, members of the jury, I want to put this to you tonight. What if we didn't just have the word in our heart, but we also had the Holy Spirit? He had the word in his heart, and he turned a nation upside down. What happens when we begin to understand it's not a theory, it's not a theology, it's not a philosophy, it's not an ideology. The Holy Spirit has come to live in us. Your life is his temple. Well, I don't feel like it. No one's asking you how you feel. Stop it. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come into your life and you are now his temple. Not on Sundays, on Mondays, Tuesdays, tomorrow morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, tomorrow morning, every, every day. You're his temple. Not only of that, you've been grafted into a living vine and you're the branch connected to his life. This isn't theology. It's real. It's actual. Don't you know? When Paul came to the Corinthian church, he said to them, look at all the stuff you're doing. It's disgusting. But he didn't deal with guilt trips. He said, let's talk about why you're doing the disgusting things that you're still doing because you don't understand that you're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, but God now lives in you. You don't need a revelation of me telling you off for what you're doing. You need a revelation that the Holy Spirit, the key is in the name, Holy Spirit has come to live in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul made outrageous statements like, I can do anything. Through Christ who strengthens me. I could do anything. I could be the best guitarist worship leader in Nashville. I just haven't got time to learn the guitar. I could be. Just haven't got time for that. Let somebody else play the party as well. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
Well, it just feels all the cares and the problems of the world that are real, they're just crushing me. Then release the life of the Holy Spirit that's in you. Compensate that pressure out with a greater force pushing out of you than there is pushing against you. It's the consciousness of the indwelling of the Spirit. The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. He will quicken your mortal body. You could shake that sickness off. You don't even need a vicar to pray for you, a pastor to pray for you. When you understand the one who lives in you, we need to be a generation of trailblazers that have the word of God, not on the bookshelf, but in our hearts in a way that it's guiding our lives. But also we know, hey, this ain't empty anymore. This ain't empty anymore. When it was empty, I could go and kiss dirty old Betty, but I can't kiss dirty old Betty now. One, because I'm in love with God, and his spirit now lives in me. Ah, come on. We're living in a moment. Come on. You put on the tin tonight, Andy Elms revival night. God said, yeah, come on. Let's do that then. Let's do that. If you'd put Andy Elms boring night, we'd all be bored to tears now. But you didn't advertise that. There's a hunger in you. Come on, God. We know the moment we're in, like the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar knew the time that they were in and what they should do. We need to know the time we're in, not go, oh, I wonder what's going to happen in Israel. Read the Bible and you will find out. It's already been foretold. You don't have to have a question mark. I wonder how things are going to end up for Israel. Here's a clue. Read the book of Revelations. Because God will not negate on a promise that he made to a man called Abraham in the book of Genesis. He will not negate on any of the five unconditional promises that he made to that man and his descendants, Isaac, Jacob, and that. He won't. He won't negate, which means don't be moved by momentary things that are happening. They left Israel, but then God brought them back in. It's going to end like God says it's going to end. It's simple. You're Christians, I wonder how this is going to... Don't wonder. Read the Bible. Let the word come in to your heart. Like Josiah. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Come on, Holy Spirit. We just need a fresh touch. Holy Spirit. Listen, don't live in moments past. Live in present lifestyle with the Holy Spirit. This is something that was on my heart to share with you. But sometimes we can be really good about talking about moments that we encountered him. Oh, I remember, for me, I can remember 33 years ago being up the top of a mountain in the Catskills, in a barn where the Holy Spirit so struck my life, I could never be the same again. But I can also tell you that that same Holy Spirit is still moving in my life right now. Still that, that fire that touched my life, still moving in my life. I could tell you about moments 20 years ago where I was in meetings and I felt the river of God flowing out of me. But I can also tell you I'm still praying in those tongues. But God has unhalted my mouth when I've got rocks in the way. Because he's a God that doesn't just touch you with fire. He keeps fire coming. He's not just a God that causes rivers to spring up, but rivers to begin to keep on flowing. You see, when we read in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist said of Jesus, he said, oh, when he comes, he said, oh, I'm going to baptize you with water. I'm going to saturate you with water. He said, but when he comes, he's greater than me. Come on, Matthew 3. When he comes, he's greater with me me he's going to baptize you with spirit and with fire and then we see the Lord standing up in the gospels at a great feast 
And this time he doesn't speak of fire, he speaks of water. He speaks of rivers. Now John said, he'll baptize you, he'll touch you with fire. But Jesus said, hey, come to me, anyone who's thirsty, who's looking to the world like the Samaritan woman for other ways of getting satisfied. Come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will begin to flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Spirit who had not yet been given because Christ was not yet glorified. Jesus said, your inheritance as a new creation isn't to experience a moment of a river of God, but to know the river of God flowing consistently, continually, unhindered from the central part of who you are. I was thinking about these two things, fire, (laughs) rivers. And it's amazing that they serve two different purposes, don't they? I believe that often when we're newly born again, we experience the fire a lot because there's a lot that needs to be burnt away. But as you walk with the Lord, this may just be my situation or my experience. You still experience the fire, but you experience more of the river. You see, the fire falls to burn away the sacrifice. It falls to burn away the junk. But after a while, surely the junk has been dealt with in comparison to what he found us like. And that's when the river begins to flow. But I tell you what, I want both. I want fire of God in my life. I can remember when I was first born again, it was like I lived in the fire. But if you could have seen the state of my life, that would have explained why. There was so much garbage that needed. It was like, another thing on the altar, God. What day is it? Monday. Hey, it's Tuesday. Another junk on the... Because I'd been infected by an infected world. And my life, though it was born again, a new creation, still had junk in it, but God didn't want it to remain. As I began to put that junk on the altar, that's when the fire fell. The revival we had back, um, back in, was it, 2015, all we said that started that revival that lasted three weeks was, come on, if you want the fire of God to fall, put something on the altar. That moment a revival started in England, this was in England, but lasted for two and a half weeks. Couldn't stop. People's lives were transformed. Why? Because people weren't just saying, send the fire. They were saying, if there's anything in my life, God, that shouldn't be, burn it away, burn it away, burn it away. God don't want to send the fire to show off. He wants to send it to consume that which shouldn't be. And then you've got the river. (laughs) The river begins to flow. And all of a sudden, you're in situations, and you're like, oh, I'm feeling... And all of a sudden, karabobo somborabata, lima rabo somboko bosenderia. And suddenly a river begins to flow. And all of a sudden the day begins to brighten up. I'm not talking about the day outside your life. I'm talking about the day that's happening inside your life. You're not experiencing the fire. You're not on the floor shaking. But you're on your knees in wonder and thankfulness. Oh, we need the fire. We need the water. But too many Pentecostals especially... They have an experience of these things in their past, but they have no ongoing experience. God wants us not to have experience of these things in our past, but ongoing experiences. Is it Ephesians? Ephesians. It says this. I love the way that it says it in Ephesians. It says, I had this verse for you tonight, and we finally got there. Look at that. Listen to what it says in Ephesians. This isn't about initial touch. This is about ongoing experience. All right? It says, therefore, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Before that, it says, making the most, be very careful then how you live. 
Not unwise, but wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Don't be an idiot. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't be overwhelmed under the influence of things like wine and drunk and drunkenness and drugs and relationships, which lead to debauchery. Ah, uh-huh. instead, be filled. Now, I know your pastors have taught you this. That's a continued ongoing tense. It says, be being filled or be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music in your heart and making melody to the Lord. Always giving thanks. That's the life of a believer. Not walking around, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if we're going to make it through. I'm gonna, oh. No, no, the Bible says that we're walking around because we understand the Holy Spirit and the ongoing flowing of the river of God. Oh, let me sing a song. He's awesome. He is beautiful beyond description. Come on. He's marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension. He's like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp his infinite wisdom? Come on, singing melodies, singing melodies. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. Today is a great day. Letting the ongoing flowing of the river happen. Not sitting there going, I remember in 1984, I experienced the fire of God. And what about now? Don't tell me you ain't got nothing to burn today. Because 84 to now is a long time. I remember I was in a meeting. I can even tell you where it was. The year was 92. Oh, I felt the river of God. Well, what about this morning? Did you not feel the river of God this morning? Because God never gave any of these things to be a momentary trophy or monument in your life, but an ongoing experience. I think God's going to take some boulders out the river tonight. I think God's going to fan the flames tonight because we've all had fires and we let them grow. The problem wasn't the fire. We let them grow dim. How about tonight we fan the flame? How about tonight we go, hey, fire of God, I need you as much today as what I did when I experienced it all those years ago. I need you burning away some stuff. God, tonight I'm going to pull down some high towers and I want you to burn away everything that shouldn't be in my life. I want my life to be all yours, all yours, all yours. What about tonight we say, yeah, the river of God used to flow in my life, but it doesn't flow like it used to flow. It's because you've got boulders in your life. You've got boulders in your life. A river's still the river. You've let boulders into your life. But I tell you what, when God removes the boulders, the river begins to flow again. When God removes, because the problem's not with the river. It's like when Jesus speaks of the different soils. He doesn't mention anything of a condition of the seed. He goes straight to the condition of the soil. He said the seed's perfect. Let's not even talk about the seed. Listen, Holy Spirit, whether it's like fire or whether it's like river, he's perfect. There's nothing wrong with the Holy Spirit. He's as powerful today as he's always been. He's as life-changing today as he's always been. The problem for us is often the condition of the soil, the condition of the altar, the condition of a riverbank. Listen, I just sensed tonight when I was coming there, I just really sensed on my heart that the Lord was saying to me that tonight he was going to remove boulders and he was going to fan fires. He's going to remove boulders, fan fires. Come on, we can all let a rock fall off a cliff top and suddenly church and God don't feel like it used to feel. God hasn't changed. Get the boulder out. You know, I was in some meetings recently and someone was talking about, I've never heard it before or for years, a halted tongue. 
halted tongue. And what it was, it's somebody who once used to speak fluently in tongues. Now they can't get more than a minute's worth out. And then all of a sudden, God unhalters the tongue. And it begins to flow again. God, would you open up the mouths of anyone that's got a halted tongue tonight? Would you cause the Spirit of God, the language of heaven, to begin to flow again like it did when they first stood at the front of a church and, and thought, I'm mumbling words, but it feels so good I don't want to stop. God, would you lift any halted tongue tonight? Even right now, in Jesus' name. If you've not been enjoying the gift of praying in the heavenly land, language right now let your lips be open let it begin to roll again let it begin to roll again come on we need tongue talking in the church God wants us to have tongue talking in the church I talked with church in England last week I said now some of you are going to think I'm freaky but this is true let me talk to you again church about praying in the Holy Ghost and you got people going I haven't heard this before well you're sorry about it you should have heard it but it is only your second week here give us a chance you know we're a tongue speaking people I've had people in our church leaving our meetings recently going one guy's driving home with his wife and, and he's only been saved a matter of weeks he's like something strange happened tonight she said what was it love I started speaking this unusual remember when we were worshipping I started speaking this really unusual language and she's like you just got baptised in the Holy Ghost he said oh come on it's time God's sending us into battle God's sending us to pull down high places God's sending us to turn the world upside down before we come to the end of the church age and he returns we've got a job to do this isn't time to shrink back it's not time to sit down it's time to stand up and say God send your fire again. Send your fire again. Send your fire again. Not to give me goosebumps in a meeting, but to know everything in my life that doesn't serve you is burn away. God, send the river again and flush away the depression I've allowed to grip my life. Flood the river again. Take away the misery I've been living in. Let the river flow again, God. Let the river flow again. Let the river flow again. Ain't no problem with the river. The problem is when we let boulders fall off of a cliff and stop it doing out of your innermost being. Flow rivers. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, who hadn't yet been given because the Christ had not yet been glorified. Christ is glorified. You in agreement? <coughs> you in agreement? Spirit's been given. Read the book of Acts. Spirit's been given. And he was given not just for the men of that day and the women of that day, but for the men and the women of this day. Come on, Josiah had the word, but what could it look like when you got the word and the spirit? We can pull down bigger high places. Some of the high places we need to pull down are things that were established by the traditions of our fathers that had nothing to do with God. They were just religious. Come on, it's time for us to pull down. So often I'm speaking to people who are Roman Catholics, yet they have no relationship with God. Why? Because they've been taught to worship high places, things that resemble God. We've got to pull them down. We've got to pull them down. Luther didn't have it all together. He had it concerning justification, but not concerning other things. He wasn't the guru of all truth. But when it came to justification, he knew what he knew because the Holy Spirit had taken the word and put it in his heart that it's faith alone come on we've got to go out there with a message it's not faith and it's faith alone it's not faith and works it's faith alone that produce great works because of your life change come on Holy Spirit come on Holy Spirit come on you're getting hungry tonight come on I didn't come all the way from England for a nice polite meeting and you didn't come and expect that from me you know not to expect that from me come on Holy Spirit come on Holy Spirit fresh fire Lord 
Fresh fire, Lord. Fresh water, Lord. In this place, Lord, right now we honour you, Lord. We honour your name. We honour you, King of kings. We honour your spirit. We honour you, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We honour your word. We thank you for your presence in our lives. Come on, if you want more of God, would you stand with me tonight? Would you stand with me tonight? Will somebody get on the keyboard or on a guitar tonight? Would you just begin to pray? Come on, I'm not going to manufacture anything. I'm just going to get you hungry. I've tried to get you hungry tonight. I've tried to say that maybe there's more. Maybe there's more. And tonight God wants you to experience more.